worship leader to Pastor Nod that was so subtle. I almost found myself joining the praise team today. Hey, remain standing, and I want us to, if you have a Bible, if you brought one today, I want you to turn to Psalm 19 in, your, in the Bible that you brought. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find a black ESV study Bible in front of you. That is yours to look at now, and I'm going to make it real easy for you. Turn to page 456, 456. Those of you who brought your own Bible and want to use it, you're on your own there. Psalms is real big and fat in the middle of the Bible. And beautiful songs with so much in there, so much just real and raw. And it's for us today. And in a moment, you know, we'll do this. We're going to put it on the screen for all the slacker people, okay? Uh, Psalm 19, and we are going to read it together. So let's remain standing. Here's what I want to do. This is a little trick. It's um, We're not playing a game here. It's just the opposite. I want us to revere the Word of God. But on verse 7 and verse 14, you're on your own, okay? So we're reading in unison together aloud. In verse 17, it's just you. My voice is going to go silent. Verse 14 is just you. Okay, so Mark 7 and Mark, uh, four, Mark the verse 7, Mark, not the gospel of Mark. Connie, don't look at me like that. Like, I don't know what's going on on Memorial Day weekend. Such disgust. Ask the Lord to forgive you, please. We're not in Mark. We're in Psalms. Okay, Connie? But I want you to make note of verse 7 and verse 14, and we'll see how this goes. Okay, so everybody ready? Let me get out of the way. Here, Psalm 19 in the ESV. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a straw man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from the heat. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back all from, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Beautiful. Father, bless the hearing and the reading and, yes, even the preaching of this word. How poetic the imagery. Lord, it is quite stunning. And we thank you. Thank you for voices raised in unison. This is our prayer in Christ. Amen.
Writer Annie Lamott tells the story of a small boy who lost his mom. Sad and lonely was he, especially in the nighttime. And he would go often into his father's room and say, Father, can I sleep with you? And the father, of course, would oblige. And he would enter into the bed with his dad to sleep with him. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for this boy who lost his mom sad and lonely in the darkness of the night. It wasn't enough for him just to be with his father. He needed to know that his father's face was turned toward him. In the darkness of the night, when it was so lonely and so sad, he would say to his dad, Father, is your face turned toward me? And his dad would say, Yes, son. Don't be lonely. Go to sleep. My face is turned toward you. I tell you today, that I need my Father's face turned toward me. In the light of day, in the darkness of the night. I think of Moses so long ago said these words, may the Lord bless you, you know them. May the Lord bless you, may keep you, and what? May He cause His face to shine upon you. That's this invitation. Have you noticed that some people seem so uh, attuned to the voice of God, to the presence of God, to the face of God, like a, like a musician with perfect pitch. There are these rare people on planet earth who just have this internal radar where they're just, they're dialed into it. May the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you. Uh, long ago in a place called Dothan, there was a servant of the prophet Elijah. And this servant of the prophet Elijah noticed that the enemies of Israel were circled about them, literally surrounding them, and he was trembled with his fear. It's what you do, by the way, when you're afraid, when you see all the negative. You're not, you're not seeing God in that. You don't see a father whose face is turned towards you, and you're kind of freaking out. And the prophet Elisha uh, said to him, chill out. Not really, but he, he, he said, take it down a couple of notches. That's what my teenage daughter tells me when she's think, she thinks I'm freaking out. Of course, I never freak out. I'm a pastor. But she'll say, take it down a couple of notches, Dad. And Elisha, the prophet, was saying that to the servant, his servant. Hey, take it down a couple of notches. And actually what he said there, true to the text, true to the narrative, he, he said, Oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And some of you know this story his eyes were open and he saw. What did he see? Anybody remember? He saw, he saw chariots of fire and horses. And what he saw deeper than that was the provision and protection of God in his life. A little boy named Samuel. We got a good friend in Fonner Church just named their little boy Samuel. A little boy named Samuel was hearing a voice. And he thought it was the voice of uh, the priest Eli nearby. And so he would enter into with the priest Eli and the priest Eli realized that young Samuel, this boy, was hearing the voice of God. And the famous words were then uttered, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Two early first century followers of Jesus were walking on the road to Emmaus. It was post-crucifixion. And as the two of them were walking, a third man joined them. It was Jesus. But they didn't know it at the time. And later they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he explained the scriptures to us? There's a name, I bet you're not going to recognize it, Nicholas Herman. Anybody know who Nicholas Herman is? Anybody? Nobody in the room knows, uh, has heard of this guy. He worked for a while in the military 
And then he became a short order cook. He was just really dissatisfied with his life. And one day he sat and he was meditating in his dissatisfaction, offering prayers of complaint and lament before God. And he noticed a tree and he began to study the the life of the tree. And like the psalmist of old, he was struck by the tree. He was struck, not literally like the tree didn't fall on him, but he was struck by the thinking about the tree and how the tree draws its sustenance from elsewhere because it's rooted in something other than itself. Deep down, it draws life. And in that moment, he made a commitment that he would make, his commitment was this, that he would make his life an experiment in what he would call the habitual, secret, silent communion of the soul with God. I bet you've heard of this guy. He would later be called this, friends named him this, Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence never was voted in as a pope or a king or a CEO. He just stayed in the kitchen. One of those closest to him said, this good brother would see God everywhere. After his death, they compiled his writings, his conversations into a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Now everybody in the room has heard of that. If you haven't, I don't do this often, you ought to be embarrassed. You may be feeling embarrassed. I've never heard of that. I want you to feel embarrassed. It's, apart from the Bible, is the best-selling book of the last four centuries. Monastic short-order cook has outsold John Grisham, Tom Clancy, and J.K. Rowling combined. A habitual commitment to a habitual, secret, spiritual, silent life of communication of the soul with God. The brother could see God everywhere. You know, there are different kinds of days. Are you dialed into that? Like, there there are different days, right? You have different days in your life. And one pastor named John Tyson talks about a couple of different days. He calls them rainbow days and ordinary days. Of course, he's got this steeped in Scripture. and he, He refers to Noah and the promise that God would no longer judge the earth in the way that he did. And that he would give him, he gave him, as you know, the promise of the rainbow. And rainbow days are just like that. Like we see God's handiwork in us. Just like around us. We, just like the psalmist declared and we read aloud together. We see the handiwork of God. Now Noah got a rainbow. Abraham got circumcision as a sign. I bet he was kind of hoping for like a, you know, a rainbow or a secret handshake or something. But you know, he probably threw up a prayer asking God for some different sort of sign. But rainbow days are like that. God gives us a sign. These days are filled with goodness and joy. You want to pray. You want to pray because you believe God is there and you believe that He's going to answer your prayers, that He'll give you good things. And so you pray with a sense of openness and receptivity. You offer that to God, believing, and you're ready to respond and act on what He might say back to you as you listen in prayer. Not just giving your petitions and supplications, but as you listen to what He may be saying to you. Those are rainbow days, and you're filled like you want to serve other people. You, you, you have joy overflowing out of you. The good things that God gives, you notice them. A spirit of complaint is in the minority in your life. You are just filled with joy, gratitude, thanking God endlessly and continuously. If you're a parent, 
you have, it would be a day, a rainbow day would be when one of those small child, children spills red Kool-Aid on a white sofa, but you don't overreact. In fact, your reaction to that is, you know, that's not a character flaw. I did some of that stuff when I was little, and you're just gracious, and you forgive that child for that. But ordinary days are very different. Ordinary days, there are no rainbows. In ordinary days, life becomes routine. It's very mundane and very monotonous. In 1 Samuel, it's a season in the life of Israel where challenges and problems were behind them. Now be careful if you've just overcome something. Be very careful if you're in a season of comfort and ease. And in Israel, they were there. They were there, the exodus, the glory days of Moses and Joshua and the exodus were complete. Um, the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai and Manna, all that was past them and they settled in. Pharaoh had been defeated and even the gruel and the grind of occupying the land was sort of in the distant past. The tabernacle was still open. History tells us that they still worship. Prayers were offered. People came to church even on Memorial Day weekend. But look what it says in 1 Samuel 3. It says the following, one of the saddest passages in all the Bible. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Part B of that verse says there weren't many visions. Remember, remember the wisdom of Solomon? Where there's no vision, the people perish. No vision, no preferred future, no sense of something they were going after. No overarching purpose or point to it all. They had just settled in and they were, they were at ease. And the glory days were behind them and the voice of the Lord. Now, He was speaking to them. God's voice was being heard, but it was very rare. In a literary work, this quote jumped out at me. The Prince of Tides, anyone familiar with that? It's alleged that one of the characters spoke this. I would like to have walked in his world, thanking God for oysters and porpoises, praising God for birdsong and sheet lightning, seeing God reflected in pools of creek water in the eyes of stray cats. I would like to have talked to yard dogs as if they were my friends and fellow travelers along the sun-tortured highways, intoxicated with the love of God. I would like to have seen the whole world with eyes incapable of anything but wonder and with a tongue fluent only in praise. This psalm, that's one of the most praised psalms of the 150. So poetic, its imagery so stunning and breathtaking. It's divided up into two parts. I had you uh, allowed on your own read, or, you know, read verse 7 and verse 14. It's really divided into two parts. It, it could be um, stated like this. The world God created and the Word God communicated. See, if you go to seminary, you learn things like this. This is only a few of us know how to do things like this. But if you look at these 14 verses, you'll see the first six, one through six, talks about the world that God created. And then verse seven through 14 is the Word that God communicated. To get out and to enjoy the world that God created is vital and essential to health and well-being. Do you believe that? Now, Daniel stated it, hey, man, we hate the people that are at the beach, okay? They're probably enjoying God's creation a little better than us right now. Maybe not, 
but to get out and to enjoy it. I've got friends who live in Seattle and Portland, and they're affected by something called seasonal affective disorder. Now, it's a beautiful place to live. I wouldn't mind moving there one day, huh? Beautiful place to live, but people struggle more with depression in that area because you want to stay indoors. But think of the world that God has created, of blue sky and night sky, the vast expanse of space, the starry host above. We see the glory of God, the psalmist is telling. We see it in the size. He mentions it's just the size. God created a big world. We see the glory of God in its size. We see the glory of God in creation, not just its size, but it's in, in its engineering, how things work together so well. We see the glory of God in its artistry. It is beautiful. We see the glory of God in his kindness and his goodness. We, all the earth, gets to enjoy it. I went on a long run Friday night and I saw a raccoon and I saw a possum. I saw a turtle that I passed. I saw a snake. It was, it was a dead one. I saw cats and squirrels and, and I saw some dogs, loose dogs, unattended dogs who were sizing me up on my run. It was a long run and I saw all these creatures and I was just wanting to go out and enjoy the night sky and pray hard against the heat and humidity. And I was on this run, I was just thinking, man, I feel like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura Pet Detective with all these animals that I was seeing. And I, I had a couple of thoughts. God, help me enjoy, keep me safe. I pray against those dogs. Keep me safe on this run. My second thought was I probably should run with some mace. And as I'm running, I'm just thinking of God's creation. And I sensed a mosquito around me and I thank God, not for the mosquitoes, but for mosquito authority. And I pray they would have authority over the mosquitoes. But we are, we are the crowning achievement of God's creation. And we are called to be out and to be among it and to worship Him in His creation. There is the world that God created. And there's the word that God has communicated. Very interesting in the Hebrew language of the psalmist. The first six verses, God is referred to in Hebrew as El, E-L. That's the most generic, I'm not insulting here, uh, it's not, not negative or derogatory, it's just the most generic reference to God, El, E-L. But in verses 7 through 14 in the Hebrew, the reference is God is referred to as Yahweh. So he's moving past creation. Somebody called, uh, once called a, a modern writer called creation the pagan's Bible. We all can see it. We all can join it, uh, enjoy it. It's, it's general revelation that Paul talks about in Romans 1. His divine nature, his uh, eternal attributes are manifest in, in nature. We all can enjoy that. But 7 through 14, two verses that you read aloud on your own congregationally, it talks about Yahweh and his love, his covenantal love for us. This is God being more personal. This is God being acquainted intimately with our life and our affairs. God gives us His Word. Many words are used. Psalm 19 is very similar to Psalm 119. Some of you know Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. And 119 mirrors just a few verses in the 14 verses of Psalm 19 in that it refers to the word... Uh, the scripture that God has given us. Now for David, if some of you want to dig into this, maybe your minds have already gone there. David speaks about the word and honey and honeycombs and gold and its value and its, its reward in his life. But David, when he spoke of the word then, he, he uses the w words like law, 
testimony, precepts, statutes, fear, and rules. And when David was referring to the Scriptures, he's talking about the Torah, the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in all likelihood Joshua and Judges, possibly some other of the Psalms, as well as Job and Ruth. And think all the more what we have. Think about how we are invited to speak of Scripture and to know it, its reward in our lives with so much more, and of course, with its completion in Jesus Christ. Now those words, especially law and fear and rule, it's so odd. I talked to you about the poetry and the beauty of it all. But it's so odd that you would put those words next to the words like reviving. We're talking about the soul being revived today from Psalm 19, verse 7. But it's interesting that the words, words like law and precept and fear and rule would be uh, commandments. They, they would have these benefits of reviving the soul, rejoicing the heart, of leading us in the path. And so... Strange, right? Because when we think of law, what do we think of? We think of rules. We think of limitations. And I want to say this. When God talks about rules and law, His commandments, His precepts, His statutes, His testimonies, He's not talking about limiting you. He's not talking about the negative. What He's talking about is blessing and protection and ultimately love. And if you clue into this, it's massively, massively important. Otherwise, you're left with a dry, dusty religion that you're not going to want in a year or ten from now. But God's ultimate concern with the statutes, with the precepts and the testimonies and the rule and the fear is your growth, your flourishing, your blessing, your protection, the love that He has for you. It's actually rules that lead to life. It's limits that allow us to lead a boundless, abundant life that Jesus would talk about later in John 10.10. You know, there's a couple of kinds of freedom. When we talk about a soul being uh, revitalized, when we talk about the revival of the soul with God's law, let's hone in on freedom because freedom is what the soul craves. Do you believe that today? Your soul craves freedom. Can I tell you, that's a God-given desire. Now, we go to broken cisterns, Jeremiah would say. We go to wells and to idols. We go to places we ought not to go. Everybody does. But your soul was made to be free. Think with me, if you would, about the difference here, the contrast, freedom from and freedom for. Just prepositions, real simple, but the difference is quite great. Very appreciable, very pronounced. Freedom from versus freedom for. Freedom from is being told what to do. How many of you love to be told what to do? Anybody? Okay, great. Nobody's bold enough. Nobody, yeah. Nobody wants that, right? In fact, let me tell you about me and see if you can relate. If you tell me something not to do, like I haven't really grown out of this much. Okay? Just a boy in a man's body, I guess, you know, an aging man's body. But like I, if you tell me what not to do, that's kind of where I'm going. Like I'm going to veer there. That's, that's, that's what I want to do. I'm looking for that. Okay? My wife is a rule keeper. I'm a rule breaker. But there's something in us, right, that we crave freedom. And remember, I'm telling you today, that's God-given. So freedom from, we want freedom from that, right? You don't want to live your life being told what to do. And much of what you do when you get out of college, right, in college, really, starts about 18, is when you're really, you got a plan. you got goals and objectives. It involves a job. 
and a place, right? And your goal is to be free from people telling you what to do. A Harvard study a couple of years back surveyed some men and they found, these corporate men found that they would uh, give up some $100,000 a year just to be their own boss, just to be able to call the shots. Freedom from is pretty important. By the fact that no hands went up, uh, it just shows us today that we don't want to be told what to do. So laws, precepts, statutes, commandments, fear, all that, I don't want that. How does it lead to revival? How does it lead to rejoicing? How does it lead to, to a life that flourishes? But the difference that here is quite great. There's freedom for and it's freedom for the kind of life that I was made to live. You want to have a good attitude that's optimistic and joyful and upbeat and positive, but you don't. You want to stop yelling at your kids, but you can't. You want to move away from being an, a selfish person to being a generous person, a non-greedy person that's magnanimous, that other people want to be, a, be around, but you can't seem to get there. If your thoughts obsess over unfulfilled desires, if your emotions are a slave to circumstances, if your bodily habits contradict your preferred values, you are not free. You are not free. So forget about this freedom, being told what to do. That's not your malaise. That's not the biggest problem. You're struggling from an internal freedom, and that's what gets the best of us. A freedom for the kind of life that God wants you to live. And so here, the psalmist gives us both reward and warning. Consider Psalm 119, verse 44 and 45. Think about freedom and joy and revival of the soul. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Freedom for the kind of life. Freedom for letting God be the one who tells us what to do, and that leads to freedom. Now stop and think for a moment. All right, If there's something in you that's resisting what the bald-headed preacher is saying, if you think I'm being overtly religious and I'm up in your business and I'm trying to restrict you and make life not fun, not as fun, I just want to stop and ask you, how much fun are you really having? All right, because here's what I've noticed. Young people, you're, going, you're at a party, and you know what you're doing at that party? You're talking about the next party. Well, why don't you be at that party? We're dissatisfied. How much fun are we really having? And the freedom of not being told what to do, the freedom of being at no one's beck and call, that kind of freedom, how much joy is it bringing you? I'm telling you, that external freedom gets overridden by the internal freedom. Freedom, the lack of internal freedom, the brokenness, the waywardness, I'll say it, even the wickedness and the dividedness in us sucks our freedom out. Your way of doing life is not as good as God's way. And so we see in this psalm both reward and we see warning. Consider for a moment warning. How many of you have ever appreciated being warned about something? Haven't you? There's a proverb. I put it on the screen months ago, talking, you know, another sermon, another sermon series. And I talked about the proverb that says, uh, you know, the prudent person sees danger and he acts on it. But the simple, they just, the naive, that's a better translation than naive, they just keep on going. And so listen, you need to be warned. Some of you are older, older than me. And you're like, ah, this is for the young people. It's for all the people. 
It's for all of God's children. Consider why we need warning. Warning, we need warning because there are sins we are susceptible to. We need warning because there are dangers that we don't see. I bet you when you nodded your head, you appreciated a warning because you didn't see the danger. And that's kind of simple. Somebody pointed it out to you, you're like, man, I, you just helped me avert a disaster. But in addition to sins we're susceptible, susceptible to, to dangers we don't see, there are dangers we see, but we don't appreciate. Ah, I'm the exception to the rule. I'll be able to get away with this. I know better than God. Now, you don't say that out loud, probably, like lightning might strike, right? You don't boast, like, smite me, almighty smiter, like in Bruce Almighty. You don't say that out loud, but you're thinking internally that's what's happening because you want to be free. You don't want to even bargain with God. You can get away with it, and you can do it His way. And this is subtle, the last one. Dangers too far off in the future. You see, you're exercising a freedom, some of you today, your mind obsessing over something, your bodily habits contradicting a preferred value in your life. And you're thinking, nah, I'm getting away with it. It's okay. But the same God who gives us His rules, His laws, His statutes, His commandments, His fear, His precepts, tells us that we'll reap what we sow. And just because you don't see something immediately doesn't mean you won't see it eventually. Live a little bit longer. If you are young, don't pass me off as the old cranky guy. Let me just tell you. Things have a way of catching up with us. I want to ask you today. Are you free? Is your soul free? Hebrews 5.14, beautiful passage. It talks about this, about growing deeper. Hebrews 5 is about deep, and that's a really popular word in the South in churches. I want to go deep. I want to go deep. Man, I want to go deep. It's not enough to study the sermon. i got to go deep. Man, I really want to go deep. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's depth, according to Hebrews 5. I'm not giving you the context there. But that's depth. Growing deep means you're able to learn, and you're able, in your learning, you're able to distinguish the difference between good and evil. God gives us commands to warn us for dangers that we see and can do something about, for dangers we don't see yet, for dangers in the future, for sins that we're very, very prone to committing over and over again, and He warns us in His love. Scripture gives us warning, but it gives us reward as well. A soul that can walk more and more into freedom, a soul that is revived. I was thinking earlier uh, this morning, not that one, but this one. I was thinking on this Memorial Day, I have to read my own writing here. I was scribbling down words that begin with R-E, like good words that begin with R-E. There's a lot of them. Restore, restart, revive, rebuild, rebound, renew, refresh, recover, retreat, rejoice, refocus. Reba McIntyre, one of my favorite singers. There's some bad words that start with R-E. Rebuke, resent, reject. If you're a state baseball fan, rematch with LSU. If you're losing your hair, recede is not a good word. Reflux is not a good word. There's some bad RE words, but there are some beautiful, beautiful RE words 
that are scriptures chock full of. Isaiah 58 talks about us being repairers and rebuilders of broken walls and ancient ruins, that we would seek the peace and prosperity of the city, that we would be people of renewal. We wouldn't retreat from problems, but we would go toward them with love and compassion and justice. I pray we would more and more be that kind of church. But the most beautiful R.E. word, there's two of them in what we read together in Psalm 19, that the revival of the soul, that the law of God that's perfect. And some of you are new to the Bible, you're learning the Bible, or you're in college and you have people attacking the Bible. Can I just tell you God's law, His word is perfect. It's perfect. And in its proper historical context, it's always right with science and history and divine and human nature. It's perfect. Always. It doesn't have all knowledge, but all the knowledge it has, First Peter 1 would tell us, it's for us and it's given. We have everything we need for life and godliness in the Scripture. And it can revive us from a joy. It says revive is one of those beautiful R-E words in Psalm 19, but my favorite is at the end, it's Redeemer. David refers to God as his rock. He doesn't change. And his redeemer, he's bought him back. He's paid a price in his love. That's who we have today. We have a redeemer. We have someone strong on our behalf. Another RE word I want to close with is the word remember. A word popular today on Memorial Day is we as a nation remember the fallen, those who gave them their lives for us. After church today, I'm going to go visit Mr. Clarence Earl Darrington. This was, uh, some of you have met him. This guy's old. This was the cover of Clarion Ledger in June of 2014, the, the month after Fondren Church moved in here. And as you know, Woodland Hills has closed their door. Y'all be nice. A couple of them are in the room right now with us, okay? So y'all be nice. Don't act up. But they gave us their church building. And one of the things they want us to do is to care for some of their people. And so today I procrastinated. I'm sort of a guilt offering. Um, but I'm going to go see Mr. Clarence Earl Darrington, who uh, fought in World War II, who at the Battle of the Bulge was on the front line. A place he did. You don't want to be on the front lines. In 1940, you don't want to be on the front lines. And this man was. And quoting him from a few years back, he said, it's bad that so many people who already have died carry history to the grave. One day I'll take mine too. This will be the highlight of my day and one of the rights and responsibilities we have at Fondren Church to love and appreciate the legacy of Woodland Hills. Anybody fought, anybody served, anybody want to come with me later today? I'll be right here if you want to. I might let you come with me. But to remember is a God-honoring thing. Today, I want us to close our service. We're going to sing, but I want us to take communion together as a faith family. And as a nation, we're enveloped with it today. We remember those who died for our country. We remember those who almost died, who were willing to die. Today, I want us to remember the one who died, the one who was rich, who, but for our sake became poor that he might be made the righteousness, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As our team, Jennifer, comes up, I want you to ask you to stand.
And some of our leaders will make their way forward and backwards where our stations for communion today. Instead of an open time of prayerful invitation, today we're going to ask you to join with us to follow the person in front of you to a station where there'll be bread and there'll be juice. And the bread represents the body of Christ. And the juice represents the blood of Christ that He willingly shed for you. So if you would, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, this we say it often, it's not about church membership here. It's not about denominational affiliation. It's about do you make the confession that you're a follower of Jesus. And so this is an act of remembrance of the greatest sacrifice of all, of Yahweh God who sent His Son, an act of covenantal love and faithfulness to us. Would you bow with me for a moment? I want to pray over you. And as before I pray, I want to ask you today that if you're deflated, dull, bored, bitter, comfortable, whatever it may be, if you're living an ordinary day where your life is in maintenance mode, I do not ask for you to ask today that God would get, make every day a rainbow day because you and I would be rotten if every day was a rainbow day. We'd be spoiled and we would want to be God. In fact, we would think we were. And can I just say, somebody needs to hear it today. I've learned it. I'm no brother Lawrence. I've had to read and reread that book. And I've had to sit by trees and meditate time and time again. It's the ordinary days where I have to lean in to hear God's voice when He seems so silent. I want to ask you to do business with God. Invite Him in, invite Him to be not just resident in your life, but president of your life where you would truly respond to His Word. You would interact with it. I want to quickly, quickly put up nine questions to ask when you're interacting with God's Word. Is there sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? A prayer to pray? An error to avoid? A truth to believe? Or simply, is there something to praise God for? I see a couple of you with your phones up. Like, take a picture. You're, you're, I give you the green light. In fact, you would encourage me if you took a picture of that. We can put it back up in a moment. But these are nine questions I was taught. Listen to me. I was taught. They're all gone. But I, I learned this in college. And it's led time and time again to interacting with God's Word and His precepts and it reviving my soul. And it does take me through pain, but it leads to rejoicing and reviving in my soul. Nine questions to ask that could lead to revival in your own soul. Father, thank You for this opportunity to worship. Thank You, that oh God, that You call us to look past the way the world wants us to live. Live and surrender. Freedom for the things of you. Thank you that you lived and you died for us. 
Thank you that we can come today as voices are raised and as we follow steps in front of us and take a simple earthen ordinary element like bread and dip it into the cup and to say this we do in remembrance of you. Receive our worship in Jesus.